Okay, welcome back to the AuthorSpeakerPodcast.org, O-R-G, AuthorSpeakerPodcast.org. Make sure you subscribe on the website. Hit the subscribe button on the top right, and we'll send you an email every week letting you know about the new episode. Okay, so let's talk about, <clears throat> about learning how to become a highly paid speaker. Okay, now there's there a couple different things, you know, when it comes to the speaking business and 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 they're and they're 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 really important. All of them are important, but they're very different, okay? Like the first thing is <clears throat> you really want to become a very very solid presenter. I was going to say a great presenter, but you don't need to be a great presenter, frankly. I mean, Bill Gove is a great presenter. Bob Proctor was a great presenter. Les Brown is a great presenter, you know? Um <clears throat> Uh, Doug Weed, the late Doug Weed. We just lost Doug Weed, too. Doug Weed and Bob Proctor within two months of each other. Two of the greatest platform presenters I ever worked with. Two of the greatest of all time. We lost back-to-back. Really sad. I just interviewed both of them for our, our, our show, our TV show we have here in Atlanta. And uh, But anyway, these were great presenters, right? And there are others that are out there you know, now. Bill Clinton, love him or hate him. In terms of politics, a great speaker. Oh, Barack Obama, phenomenal, phenomenal speaker, right? There are a lot of great speakers out there. Truth is, you don't have to be great. You have to be competent to make money in this business. You know, if you're a great speaker, God bless you, but you can't be a decent speaker. You got to be competent, competent enough to get paid. Okay, there are other elements to getting paid, but one of them is you've got to be good on the platform. You've got to be able to entertain a live audience. Whether that audience wants to be there or not. And frankly, sometimes they don't want to be there. They don't. They're employees and they don't want to be there. They want to be, you're in Vegas, you're working Vegas on the strip, you know, you're at the Rio, you're at MGM, you're at the Blasio giving the speech, the keynote speech at Microsoft, and 95% of those employees would just die to get out there, can go to the Bellagio Spa or play golf at Red Rock or, you know, go to the casino and gamble anything but sit in that convention hall and listen to you or anyone else give a speech. But they got to be there because they're being paid to be there. So they got to sit there and listen to us speak, even though they would rather not. How do you grab that person? <clears throat> How do you grab that person's attention? Who's They're going to sit there. They're going to text on their phone, they're going to play games, they're going to look stuff up on the internet, they're going to talk to the person next to them, they're going to go get popcorn, they're going to go to lunch, they're going to try, right? They're, they're not going to pay attention because they just don't want to do it. How do you grab that person? How do you do it? That's, that's what being a competent paid speaker is about. You've got to know how to do that because if you don't, you're going to sp you'll speak and that'll be fine. You'll never get paid. When you're getting paid thousands of dollars to do something, just think about it in general. How many people are getting paid $10,000 to do something that takes 45 minutes? That's pretty rare. Now, if you're Tom Brady or Rafael Nadal or you know, some great athlete or you're some movie star or some, I mean, Tom Cruise, you know, Maverick Top Gun came out, right? And Tom Cruise probably made more money last weekend than uh, most of the U.S. population put together, including me, will make in the next 20 years. You know, uh, he had a really, really good weekend, and I'm sure he got he got quite a deal on that movie. But uh, <clears throat> But outside of these statistical anomalies like actors and great athletes and those kinds of things for the rest of us mere mortals out there that are not famous um who gets paid that kind of money nobody hardly anybody speakers do speakers do okay now there's there's multiple reasons they do but one of them is 
One of the key ones is you got to be good on the platform. That's what we tell everybody. Look, the first thing you do, and people, I mean, I get this question, you know, how many times a day, emails, Facebook messages, LinkedIn messages, Instagram messages, Twitter messages, you name it. Okay, I get this all the time, and any any speaker that makes a good living doing this gets this all. So you get this in live speeches as well, and book signings and all the rest, of photo ops. And people will say, "How do you get started?" And I always say the first thing: get good on the platform. And that's and that means that doesn't mean going to Toastmasters. That doesn't mean going to Dale Carnegie. There's nothing wrong with Toastmasters. I'm a huge fan of Toastmasters. Not in that's not for paid speaking. That's not what they do. Dale Carnegie, not for paid speaking. They're both good programs. The other programs that are good, okay? You need to go somewhere like the Bill Gove Speech Workshop, like most of us went to, okay? And learn professional level skills, okay? That's that's where you go. You want to be a senator? You want to be president of the United States? I'd recommend Harvard, yeah. I'd recommend Yale, Stanford maybe, okay? You're going to need training. You're going to need world-class training, Okay, um, and that's and that's that's there's no way around that. You cannot fake skills. You can't fake any kind of skill. Okay, there's just no way. I played tennis last night here at the mansion, the Bone Island Mansion, and uh, with a friend of mine, and we were knocking the ball around and just kind of playing. He's been playing for 40 years, and I've been playing now for uh, 50. 50 years. No, 51 years. 51 years I've been playing tennis. And I was just hitting the ball around thinking, I've been doing this for 50 years. You know, I mean, I built skills up for 50 years playing tennis. And it took a long time to get good, you know. And um, it didn't take 50 years, but it took, it took a, you know, it took a number of years to get to the point where I could do what I can do on a tennis court. I can't move anymore. It's my problem. I'm too old, but, uh, but, but I can still hit the ball pretty well. And uh, relatively speaking, but, um, but that's skill. You can't fake that. It's the same thing when you give a speech. You can't fake skills. You can't, play, you can't fake platform skills. You can't fake entertainment skills. You're either entertaining and powerful and influential on stage or you're not. And it will not come naturally. You weren't born with it. No one's really born with it. Or very few people are born with it. It's a set of skills. Bill Gove used to say it all the time. He said, Steve, you know what gets you through the night? Skills. Skills. If people think it's talent, it's not. It's skills. And he says, you know how you get skills? You learn what to do, and then you do it over and over and over and over, and you practice and you practice and you practice. I remember him saying one time, he goes, how hard did you have to work to become a tennis pro? And I had to play on the, on the circuit for two years and play Division One tennis. And I said, you know, it took me, to, I went from age six to age 18 to get to college. So, you know, that was a lot of years. And then I, you know, played for two years in the pros. And he said, how many hours did you put in? And I said, I don't even want to know. He said, so you had to be totally dedicated to it, to learning those skills. And I said, right. He said, that's how dedicated you're going to have to be to become a fee-paid speaker. He said, it's going to take all that, a little more, and then a little luck. That's what it's going to take. He said, no less. He said, so if you're not willing to do it, don't even get started because it won't happen. And I said, well, I am willing to do that. And I've heard this speech before when I was six years old. And he said, well, that's going to serve you well. He said, because you've been down this road in a different thing before, but it's the same discipline. It's the same mindset, same mental toughness it takes. He goes, you got to be dedicated to it. And he was right. And I was, and it, it worked for me. You know, <clears throat> am I a great speaker? No, I don't think so. I'm a competent speaker. I know how to entertain an audience. I can do it with 20,000 people. I can do it with 20 people and everywhere in between. Um, Am I a platform giant like Larry Wilson or Bob Proctor? Nope. Les Brown? Nope. 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 Don't have to be. Don't have to. But you do have to be competent. 
you know? And that's really what this is all about. Um, so, so a few years ago, I had a guy, actually it's about 10 years ago now, I had a gentleman call me up, his name's Elliot Saltzman, lives out in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota. Nice, nice young guy. And he wanted to be a speaker. And he said, I'd like to follow you around and see what makes you successful as a speaker. And, uh, and I was doing tours all over the country back then, and we were just going full blast. And I was in the peak of my career. And, and so he followed me around. And he wrote this book called How to Become a Million Dollar Speaker, The Steve Seabold Story. And so this was based on a year that he followed me around the country, backstage, TV interviews, radio interviews. He was with me all the time. And, um, and he wrote this book. And I want you to read this book. <clears throat> It's a good book. It's a good book in the context of if you want to be a fee-paid speaker or you want to get higher fees, that's in this book. Because this is this is just, he caught me at my best. He caught me when I was exhausted. He caught me after signing 300 books in LA, you know, wherever we were. I mean, it was just nonstop for a year. And, um, and so I kind of give the good, bad, and the ugly. I mean, some of the answers I, I gave, you could tell I was a little cranky because you know, just he was very persistent, and he's a great kid, and he's a great guy, and uh, and he did a really good job on the book. He really did, and it just tells the story, and I just hit it pretty straight. It's very easy to read, and um, it won't take you very long, but it'll give you some real insights on the no BS, which is key, the no BS version of how to make it to the seven-figure level in this business. Not many people do. Not many people become seven figures. Not many people are in seven figures that are not celebrities. That's a that's an anomaly. That's not that many people. It's not that you can't do it because if I did it, you can do it. But I was able to do it because I had the right training. I got I had Bill Gove. I went to the Bill Gove workshop, became Bill Gove's partner, and I followed the yellow brick road. <clears throat> you know, in NSA, when I became the fastest person to ever go to from zero to a million dollars in income in NSA, you know, they interviewed me. I had a bunch of interviews, and they said, "How'd you do it?" I said, "I followed Bill Gove," and they said, "Well, what else?" And I said, "That's it." He laid out the yellow brick road, like in The Wizard of Oz, and I followed it, and I didn't deviate at all. And I remember, you know, people saying, okay, that's great. No, that's fantastic. You know, had a great break with Bill Gove, and he taught you the system in the Bill Gove Speech Workshop, and, you know, you were really close with Bill until the day he died, and, you know, it was all really great, but, you know, what else contributed to your success? Let me say it again. <laughs> I really irritated the interviewers because I, I didn't have anything else. I was being honest. I followed the yellow brick road. I didn't deviate. When Bill said jump, I said how high. I had a guy one time at <clears throat> one of the speakers associations. Me, I was speaking for him because I went around the country for NSA at some point, and I did. I spoke because it's a business of people that want to be in the business. Most people are they call them wannabes, and that, it's kind of a derogatory term. But it's not really meant in a derogatory way. I don't think by most people that say it because it was, we're all wannabes at some point. Uh, but most of the people want to be a speaker, and then they find out what it takes, and then they they leave, and then a whole bunch of more wannabes come in and find out how hard it is, and then they leave, and another group. It's a revolving door. It's almost like network marketing. It's a revolving door. Ninety uh, percent of the people are gone every year. And new ones come back, and most don't stick because they realize how tough it is to do this. You either have to love this, or you've got to be nuts to, to pursue it if you don't love it because it's too hard. It's too hard. If you just go, oh, no, I, I, I'm doing this because I just think it's a great business, but I don't love it. Get out of it. Don't even start, okay, because you are doing the – it's like being an actor, I guess. You know, um, I went to the Oscars two years in a row. I was the first speaker, professional speaker I'd ever be invited to the Oscars. And um, matter of fact, I think that's in the book. I forget. But I think it is. 
And uh, Keith Merrill, the great director, Hollywood Academy Award winner, uh, saw me on television, invited me to the Oscars, and we are going to do a movie together. We turned out not to be doing it ex exactly right now, but uh, that's still kind of on the shelf. But um, anyway, uh, he said one time, he, I said, I, I said, you know, how do you coach actors? Because isn't speaking and acting kind of in the same genre category in terms of artistic expression and, more importantly, <laughs> uh, terrible numbers of people, percentages of people that actually make it, you know? And uh, I said, how many, how many actors, for example, in Hollywood, how many are there really like in, in Metro L.A. trying to pursue an uh, acting career? That, how many are there out there? He said, probably half a million at any given time. Half a million people in Metro L.A. are trying to be actors. And I said, how many people make $100,000 a year out of those 500,000? He said, he laughed, he said, almost none. He goes, yeah, there's Tom Cruise and there's a few people you know, Tom Hanks, and you know, there's there's a bunch of, you know, like a couple dozen or three dozen or four dozen or whatever it is, you know, actors that you know Mel Gibson and people you know, okay, Meryl Streep and those people that make a fortune. And he goes, but then there's an army of people, <laughs> a huge army of people that make nothing. And so I said, What advice do you offer those actors that they're being a director, Academy Award winning director, multiple times nominated for Academy Award? what advice do you give him? He says, I ask him one question that makes all the difference in the world. And I love this. I've never heard this before since. Maybe it's popular. I don't know the acting world very well. I just got involved, immersed in a little bit when I went to the Academy Awards a couple years in a row with Keith. And um, he said, I ask him this question. And here's the question. It's great for speakers. He said, this will determine whether you should become get in the acting business or not. The question is this. Do you want to be an actor? Or do you want to be a movie star? I've never heard that before or since. And I looked at him. I said, okay, all right. I'm trying to figure out where he's going with this because because that's not my world. And he said, and I said, can you explain? He goes, right. I explained very simply to him. If you want to be a movie star, quit. Quit right now. Because... The odds of you becoming a movie star, like a Meryl Streep or, you know, Tom Cruise or someone like that, are so, you, you got a better chance of a car falling out of the, off a freeway onto the, onto the next, uh, you know, the road below and crushing you because you're walking down the street. He goes, this is, you know, these people are one in a billion. He goes, it's just, in most of it, half of it's freak luck. Right place, right time, right movie, all the right director, right circumstance, whatever. He said a lot of it's just absolute blind luck. He goes, there's a ton of really good actors out there that are never going to be movie stars, and they're better actors than the movie stars themselves. But they didn't get the good breaks. They didn't have this happen, that happen, whatever. He said, now, if you want to be a movie star, forget it. He said, if you want to be an actor because you love to act, you'll do plays, you'll do commercials, you'll do movies. You don't care. You want to be on a stage pretending to be someone else. Because you love it. He said, that's what you should do for the rest of your life. He goes, now whether you, whether you become a movie star or not, you, that would be fine. Maybe it'll happen, probably won't, but maybe it will. God bless you, that's all great. That, that's happy. But you'll be happy because you're acting. Maybe you're working as a waiter or a waitress or a server or at a car wash uh, your whole time you're doing it. <clears throat> but you're an actor. You're doing what you love to do. 
And I thought, that's brilliant. That's just like speaking. As a matter of fact, my brother-in-law is a character actor. and He actually lives there in Atlanta, which has now become the Hollywood of, of the South, as they call it. Um, there's more movies made in the, the Atlanta metro in Georgia, the state of Georgia, where we live, than in than Hollywood, believe it or not. It's crazy. Because of a whole tax break situation that the state of Georgia brilliantly created. But... Tim is my brother-in-law, and he's a really, really good actor, and he's been acting for, geez, I don't know, 35, 40 years, and he's a character actor. He's been in every Denzel Washington movie you've ever seen. I always say, I, I joke with audience, I'll say, my brother-in-law's an actor, I'll tell him a story, and I'll say, you ever see any Denzel Washington movie ever? And the people nod their head, and I'll go, he's the white guy. And uh, Denzel Washington loves my brother-in-law, and he's in the movies. He's in the movie typically for 30 seconds, one minute, two minutes, but he's been in like 75 movies, and he's really good, you know? And, and I said to him one time, it was really interesting, because Tim's about, I think Tim's about 73 now, 74 maybe? Um, I, I asked him one time, because being a speaker, you were both performers, and but he's been doing it, you know, he's been doing his longer than me, actually, for probably 10 or 15 years longer than I have. And, and I said, you know, do you ever, I said, you're so good. I said, every time I see you on camera, you're on Denzel Washington, or you're with Charlize Theron, or he's acted with, you know, been in these scenes with these huge movie stars. And I said, does it ever frustrate you that, you know, that you're not in it longer. Because he's usually, like I saw him in Ozark the other day. Ozark filmed right down the street from our the Bone Allen Mansion here where we live, about two miles out of Lake Lanier. We're out there all the time. And Lake Lanier, we're out there yesterday. And um, right down the street in the lake. And uh, and I, he was in Ozark. He was in episode four, I think, of season four, the last season, I forget. He was in it. He played, uh, he was a bereaved uh, husband and a funeral, uh, with Jace, a funeral parlor with, um, with uh, Jason... Uh, uh, it was Jason's name? I've, Jason, the guy that's the that lead actor, and I forget his last name. Anyway, Jason, you guys know I'm talking about. If you watch Ozark, anyway, he's a great actor. And anyway, he was in it for like I don't know 45 seconds. And I said, Tim, do you ever get frustrated that uh, you know Jason and these other big actors, you know all these guys, and you're not in it longer? And he said, No, I don't get frustrated at all. I'm just really grateful. That I'm in the movies, you know, that I get these parts and I'm able to to do what I love to do. And I thought, that's brilliant. That's how you should think, you know. That's how you should think of. That's how a healthy person looks at an art, a form of art, which is what he's doing as, a, as an art form, just like speaking. He just feels grateful that he's able to do it at any level. You know, God bless him. I, I think that's a really, I mean, how good of an attitude can you possibly have? I'm sure he's been frustrated at some points, like everybody, but he just wants to do it for the sake of doing it because he loves doing it. He's damn good at it, too, I'll tell you. If you ever, his name's Tim Ware, W-A-R-E. He's very good, and, um, and he's been doing it a long time. He knows what he's doing, but he's not in things very long. Um, he was in the heat of the night with Carol O'Connor for a long time, but just small parts. But he had a regular part, but just short times on, on camera, and he's so good. But, uh, but anyway, he loves doing it, and that's the point. So you love doing you do it because you love to do it, and, and that's the whole thing. And so anyway, I'm going to wrap this episode up, but just read this book. Elliot Saltzman did a great job. You can get it on Amazon. I don't know. It's 15 or 16 bucks, seven, whatever it is. I forget. But um, it, you can whip through it pretty quickly. You're going to get a very straight shot at the inside look of this business. And again, as I said about the Dottie Walters book, I think on the last episode, there are not many books where you get the straight shot from someone doing seven figures. That, that's a non-celebrity. There's not many books out there. There's hardly any books out there. And so many of the books that are out there are by people that don't really know what they're talking about, but they sell a lot of books because there's a lot of naive people that enter the speaking business. People that tend to be artistic, 
sometimes tend to be more naive. Not always, it's a generalization, but artists don't tend to actually be the most pragmatic people. Sometimes, sometimes they are, but a lot of times they're not. And so, you know, you got to kind of watch yourself a little bit with some of the, you know, things out there, resources out there. But that's a very good one. You did a really good job. Okay, so check out How to Become a Million Dollar Speaker by Elliot Saltzman. Go to Amazon, check it out. Okay, with that, remember, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, okay? Um, authorspeakerpodcast.org authorspeakerpodcast.org org, O-R-G subscribe, we'll send you an email every week let you know we're doing the, the new episode and uh, we'll see you then, thanks for listening